Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome back to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican correspondent Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. Pope Francis's visit to an interreligious congress in Kazakhstan last week was overshadowed by criticism from the president of the Kazakh Bishops' Conference. Est-ce que vous diriez que vous êtes un opposant au pape François? Pas, pas. Je suis un, un ami du pape François. We'll tell you everything you need to know about the trip and why this bishop believes it was a dangerous undermining of Catholicism. The head of the Pope's charity office came under fire by Russian forces. Up next, how the Pope's almoner survived an attack while delivering aid in Ukraine. We'll explain what happened and why Pope Francis now says that supplying arms to Ukraine is morally justified. Ma può essere immorale si se fa con l'intenzione di provocare più guerra. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from a Rome, Colleen, where the temperature has dropped a little. We have some breeze, so it's very nice. I'm jealous. We have a heat wave right now. Jerry, Pope Francis was in Kazakhstan last week for a major congress of the leaders of world and traditional religions, although his visit was kind of overshadowed in the media by criticism that came from a Kazakh bishop who said that this meeting of interreligious leaders was dangerous and could come off as the Pope supporting a supermarket of religions. Now, it's always a little bit meta when we cover these stories about what's going on in the media, because we're also part of the media and our coverage contributes to that story gaining steam. So let's talk first about what we wanted to focus on, which is about the Pope's trip. What was it like and did the Pope achieve his goals that we talked about last week of advocating a cooperation between world religions for peace? I think it was a, an enormous success, the visit of the Pope. He was received with great joy by the president of the country. He was told by the chairman of the meeting that his presence really raised this meeting to a new level. They have wanted him to come, to, a Pope to come since 2002. It's the seventh meeting that has been held of the leaders of the traditional and the major world religions. It was very significant that the Pope spoke twice to the meeting, mm-hmm. spoke right at the beginning and right at the end. That's a little unusual. Yes, it's, it shows the way he is appreciated. I mean, if you think that most people in the world have some religion or other, and here you have had, I think, close to 100 representatives of different religions. It's quite significant. And I think it's maybe worth mentioning here what we said last week about, you know, you mentioned that the Pope doesn't usually 
go to this meeting. They've wanted a pope for a long time. But an interesting detail from last week that I want to highlight again is that also Francis is the first pope who's going to these meetings that are not organized by the Catholic Church. Yes, in the past, the pope often received invitations to meetings organized by other religions where lots of religious leaders came together, but the Pope never went. Mm -hmm. But he went to Abu Dhabi, which was organized by the Muslims. He went to Cairo to a meeting organized by the Muslims. And now he goes here to a meeting organized uh, by the, the Kazakh state, which is majority Muslim country, the president is Muslim, but which uh, has really respected all the religions. And he, he accepted because he says, we are all, first of all, beyond our particular religious affiliations, we're children of the one God. And th this is a very fundamental, and it's the essence of part of what he spoke about at the meeting, but it's also the essence of the human document on fraternity, the document on human fraternity, which the conference adopted. Mm -hmm. uh, this is very interesting. Yeah, talk about the significance of that. Well, uh, this seemed to be a small thing at the beginning, limited to the Sunni Muslims and the Catholic Church. But now here's a conference of many different religions adopting this as a document which speaks about themes that they all concur on. Basically, one, that we're all children of God. Two, that the essence of true religion is to foster peace that terrorism cannot be justified by true religion, and that violence cannot be justified. You mentioned last week that it was going to be really important to see who the Pope met with one-on-one -on -one at this meeting. Can you tell me what happened with that? I don't have the full list, but I'm told that he, he met with about 10 different leaders of different religions. There were a lot of people who wanted to talk with him one-on-one. -on -one. And this says something for his standing in, in the world community. Yeah, of course. And it's also interesting that early on during the Pope's visit, the Kazakh foreign minister held a meeting with Archbishop Gallagher, who is the Vatican equivalent of a foreign minister, and they signed an agreement whereby Kazakhstan makes it very easy for religious figures, missionaries, members of religious order, etc., to come into the country and work there. Hmm. Was that not the case before? Was it not easy? In many countries, it's very difficult today to get visas for missionary religious figures to come into the country. The Kazakh government, in recognition and out of gratitude for what the Pope is doing, no, it was it, it was an agreement with the, between the Holy See and Kazakhstan. They have opened this possibility. This is very significant. But that didn't even get a line in, in most papers. But what got a line was what you said at the beginning, this uh, bishop who contested what Francis was doing. While Pope Francis's goal in attending this meeting was to boost interreligious cooperation for peace, Bishop Athanasius Schneider raised a concern that's been raised throughout church history about this line between dialoguing with other religions, but also holding that the Catholic Church is the one true church. So can you give us some background on Bishop Schneider, who he is and what he said? Well, he's a 61-year-old auxiliary bishop of Astana, the original name for this capital city of Kazakhstan. 
and now they've re- reverted to this. They actually changed it back to Astana during the Pope's visit. <laughs> yes, exactly. It was Nur Sultan because that was linked to the former president. But the reality is that Bishop Schneider is well known for his traditionalist positions. It's an interesting history because as a child in the Soviet Union, when he was very young, he was go to clandestine masses, family risking attending these masses. So he, he comes with this back memory of what persecution was like. And I, I think this has obviously in, impacted quite strongly on him. He really finds it difficult to accept some of the teaching of the Second Vatican Council. Vatican II advocated the dialogue between the religions. And since then, under Paul VI, especially under John Paul II, it really moved forward. John Paul II called the leaders of world religions together in Assisi in 1986. And that was the beginning of one of these big interreligious gatherings, because as I said, the popes didn't go to other religious gatherings. There were ones, but this was one called by John Paul II, and many people came to it. I remember the Dalai Lama was there. Some of the big Muslim leaders were, they were all there. I was at it. But uh, it, it, at the time, it was considered also, it was somehow breaking with church tradition. Yeah, it was harshly criticized. Yeah, even Cardinal Ratzinger didn't attend it. He had problems with it. And he spoke out against it in the German press. Now, obviously, uh, Bishop Schneider is in this tradition. He has never accepted what Vatican II taught. He hasn't accepted the Assisi and what has followed from Assisi. Mm-hmm. Which is also a lot of Francis's pontificate and Francis's moves. Yes, and he, he disagrees strongly with the document on human fraternity, which the whole conference accepted. But what is amazing, Colleen, is the way that the media, he, he was one of more than 100 participants, but he gets picked out. Why? Because this is part of the conflictual nature of the Western media, which if they haven't a good guy and a bad guy, there's no news. And so they, they pick him as the one he's who's picking the fight with Francis. And Schneider's been playing that role in the media for a few years now, right? I remember after Amoris Laetitia came out, which opened up the possibility of bishops uh, allowing divorced and remarried people in their dioceses to receive communion, kind of on a case-by-case basis. Schneider joined with the Dubia cardinals, the ones who had presented this formal correction to the Pope about this, at a conference in Rome and spoke out against it. And then later, when we saw Archbishop Vigano issue his letter that was full of all these accusations against the Pope that then had to be debunked by the Vatican, he also endorsed that letter. Yes, but I think in our program, we should be really giving the space to where the central teaching of the church. A bishop is meant to be in communion with the Pope. Yeah. He is clearly not in communion with the Pope on these questions. I think it needs to be said. He is distancing himself from the the magisterium. And we're talking about a magisterium that goes back to Vatican II, and it was strongly endorsed by John Paul II, uh, who has known the repression under communism in Eastern Europe every bit as much as Schneider has. Mm -hmm. And, And so I think we must be careful not to, in my estimation, give more space than space is due to such thinking. 
Bishop Schneider said that this meeting was dangerous because it could, quote, undermine the uniqueness and absoluteness of Jesus Christ as Savior and of our mission to preach to all nations, to all religions, Jesus Christ. I mean, that's a big accusation that we're undermining the uniqueness and absoluteness of Jesus Christ. But, you know, on the Vatican II thing, I want to point out that Vatican II, while it teaches respect for other religions and that God is at work in other religions, which was a big, important teaching, it still also holds that the full truth is in Christianity. Like, there's not an opposition here between interreligious dialogue and Christianity being the true faith. Yes, what what Pope Francis made clear on the plane and what John Paul II has made clear, etc. The, the dialogue, and Benedict XVI has made clear, the dialogue doesn't mean that you put your own identity in under a bushel and hide it in your dialogue. No, you say truly what you think, but you also listen to what the other person believes and thinks, and you respect the other person's position. Uh, otherwise, we're in a closed world, where you, you, you polarized world. Exactly. And, and uh, Francis has made very clear, it is important. You be true to yourself, but you also allow the other person and accept the other person is true to him or herself and that you can dialogue. Jerry, I want to ask you one last question on this conflict and then and then we can stop talking about it. But Bishop Schneider was, was criticized after the visit for making these criticisms of the Pope to journalists while waiting for the Pope and then turning around and greeting the Pope really cordially with a handshake when he got there. And Bishop Schneider said that his criticism was made, quote, with respect fraternally and was an example of collegiality, which is this idea of the bishops working in collaboration with the Pope. I I remember when we talked about EWTN and the Pope's criticism of EWTN for attacking him, we had this discussion about the line between what is fraternal criticism and what is an attack or an effort to undermine the Pope? And I wanted to return to that question. Like, what do you make of this? Do you think that Schneider's criticism counts as fraternal correction, fraternal criticism, collegiality, or do you think it's closer to an attack? Where do we draw that line? Yes, he's a bishop. He can talk privately to the Pope. I don't know if he's done that. Mm-hmm. His attacks are seen as undermining the teaching of the Pope. He, he speaks about his working in collegiality. And collegiality means that you are mm. in union with Peter and under Peter. Mm-hmm. Cum Petro et Sub Petro. The, the Pope, the Vatican, they haven't taken a stance against him, even if he's spoken out very, very strongly at times against uh, what is the mainline teaching of the Church. This dialogue with other religions is not just Francis's hobby horse. It is Paul the Sixth. It is John John the Twenty Third. It's John Paul II, and all of the Council Fathers at Vatican II, right? It, it was near unanimous. Yes, and it is Benedict the Sixteenth. Yeah. So his position is really at a distance from the, this tradition of the last sixty years, and it's a tradition that is grounded in. St. Francis of Assisi, from whom Pope Francis took his name, who went and dialogued during the Crusades with the Sultan, who was Muslim, who was on the other side of this. This is a proud tradition that Francis sees himself as part of. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we'll look at Ukraine, where the Pope's almoner, Cardinal Krzyzewski, was caught in the crossfire of a war zone. We'll tell you what happened and look at what Pope Francis said this weekend about why supplying arms to Ukraine may be morally acceptable. 
Stay with us. Russian attack on Ukraine has dragged on for more than 200 days now, and ending the conflict is becoming even more urgent as winter approaches. It's in that context that Cardinal Krzyzewski, who is the Pope's almoner, or his deputy for delivering aid to people in need, drove 2,000 miles in a minibus to Ukraine to deliver provisions into the war zone. While he was there, he came under fire near the southeastern Ukrainian city of Zaporizhia. Cherry, what do we know about what happened to Cardinal Krzyzewski? Well, this was the Cardinal's fourth visit to the Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Uh, Each time he has gone in at the specific request of the Pope to represent him, the Pope, and to bring his closeness to the people and to bring also what aid, humanitarian aid, he can take to the people there. The Cardinal went in and he went to Odessa, which the day after he was there, came under cruise missiles. He then moved towards Zaporizhia, where many of the, uh, there's a nuclear plant near there, but many of the refugees have come through there, but has then come under fire. And then he went into an area where only soldiers are now allowed in. And for people who are a little surprised to hear about a cardinal doing this, we should uh, remind people that This is the same papal almoner who uh, was known for climbing down into a a manhole in Rome to recover electricity to a a giant building full of migrants who who were squatting there. Yeah, this man has courage. There's no doubt. Absolutely. He was accompanied by two other bishops and and a Ukrainian soldier. But having the soldier doesn't really guarantee him any security. And he, he was moving into a zone which where the Russians had been and where the Russians were shooting. And they started shooting. It, it, it seems they hit the, the minibus. I want to read this, this quote that he gave. Uh, he said, for the first time in my life, I didn't know where to run because it's not enough to run. You have to know where to go. I know this from Elisabetta's experience, that uh, you, you're in situations that anything can happen. A bullet as, as well as a missile can come in. And you can get wiped out. Anyway, they managed to get out unscathed. Then he continued after this uh, episode. He continued and he carried some of the food and other aid to the people who had decided not to leave the war zones, but to stay. And then he gave also, he gave the soldiers uh, rosary beads. He has a um, endless amount of rosary beads. He gave them, and the soldiers put them around, put hung them on their necks. Mm-hmm. These are rosaries blessed by the Pope. I think it's worth remembering that the Cardinal Krajewski took ambulances before. He's also brought aid. This is his fourth visit, and he, he never comes empty-handed. And also, he, they, they bring uh, also give money to to try and help, and they're helping through Caritas, through international, through the Polish bishops, through the Ukrainian bishops. So there is all is missing at this point is the visit of the Pope. We should also mention that the Catholic Church has donated about fifty million dollars. That's an estimate in in aid to Ukraine. Francis has he was asked on the plane 
uh, well, what about you going to Ukraine? He didn't answer significantly. So it's it's obviously at the back of his mind. The people there want him. The the the, the church wants him. Uh, he sends he sent Krajewski in, and one of his tasks was to go to all the, the the church leaders and those pastors who are remaining with their people under the bombs. And he is going in literally under the bombs to to be with them. The big fear is that Russia, which is suffering now with clear setbacks, that they may decide to move to tactical nuclear arms. And if they do, then the whole equation has changed. This is why the Pope has spoken out about the use of nuclear arms. He has expressed a fear about this. The, the Vatican foreign minister has expressed the fear. One of these missiles came within 300 meters of one of the nuclear uh, plants the other day. So an accident can happen, and then we're in a totally different world. Yeah, Cherry, there is real, real concern about escalation here. And in that context, I, I found the Pope's comments on the plane back from Kazakhstan really surprising. He was asked by a German journalist whether Ukraine should be given weapons. And the Pope kind of parsed the morality of this. He said, it depends on the motivation. He says, quote, it can be immoral if it's done with the intention of provoking more war or selling weapons or discarding those weapons that are no longer needed, but that Ukrainians also have a right to defend themselves. And he had this quote about defending being a way of, of loving. He says to defend oneself is not only lawful, but also an expression of love of country. This is very strong. So he is saying it is right for the Ukrainians to have arms to defend themselves and therefore to be supplied with arms. Yeah, help me help me parse this a little bit because it seems obvious that he recognizes Ukraine's right to have weapons to defend themselves. And you said he thinks that supplying them is okay, but it seems like he's still against them being sold. So how do you read this? Do you think they should be given? No, 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 no. I don't read it that way. Tell me. What, what he is against is the commerce in arms just for the sake of commerce. He's talking about defense. If, if you get, then get arms and you want to go in and then attack another country, he says that that's not correct. It seems like there's a moral gray area there because you could be supplying them weapons but also making money off of it. The question is, uh, the weapons are being used to defend the country. And he says it is morally legitimate, basically. The, uh, the Cardinal Parolin and the Vatican Foreign Minister, Archbishop Gallagher, have both said very clearly, Ukraine has a right to defend itself. And the Pope says very clearly, to defend oneself, he's talking about Ukraine in this thing, is not only lawful, but also an expression of love of country. Th these people are defending their homes. They're defending their families. They're defending their right to existence because what Putin wants is, is for this country no longer to exist. I think the other thing you, one could say is that while the Pope insists on this, he also emphasizes again and again, both in Kazakhstan and on the plane, on the importance of dialogue to try to bring peace. Because the risk here is that this war gets out of hand and expands. And that will bring even greater destruction to, it's already involving 50, 60 countries. So, I mean, you, you've got a, a war which is impacting on poor people in Africa, 
It's impacting on world trade. It's impacting all, all of us. And this is Francis' thing. One thing is to give them arms to defend themselves. Another thing is to find a path to peace. Yeah, and I think that's the vital, vital context to have here when you're reading these comments about the supply of arms, right? Pope Francis does not want this war to go on forever. He wants peace. He wants dialogue, which is exactly what we were talking about at the top of the show with the meeting of interreligious leaders. Uh, yeah, and remember that the Vatican has made very clear that it supports the right of Ukraine to territorial integrity, mm -hmm. to its existence, and to its freedom to decide what part of the world it wants to be with. Yeah. And if I can uh, shamelessly plug an article I've written here, I, I just did a review of this book, God's Diplomats, that explains the the Vatican's diplomatic approach to world relations and why peace is their priority. It was really interesting to read. So uh, yeah, our, our listeners can find that article at americamagazine.org. Jerry, thanks so much for talking with me this week about all of this. I, I appreciate having your uh especially like global politics expertise on this. Thank you, Colleen. I, I think we have to follow what the Pope says every Sunday. Let us pray for peace. Absolutely. All right, Terry, we'll talk next week. Inside the Vatican is an America Media podcast. Maggie Van Dorn produced this episode. Our sound engineer is Kevin Christopher Robles. We had production help this week from America Media O'Hare fellow Cristobal Spielman. Our executive producer for audio and video is Sebastian Gomes. If you want to keep up with the latest Vatican coverage from America Magazine, follow us on Twitter at INSDE Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. And you can find all of our coverage at americamagazine.org. While you're there, please consider becoming a digital subscriber to America Magazine. It's easy to do, and it's the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. That does it for this week. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.